15th meeting together is almost history. You have certainly been nice to Judy and me this week, and we are thankful for every expression of your kindness. We appreciate the song leaders. We appreciate those who've led prayer, those who have participated in any way. We've appreciated the meals that we've had with you. And it's just been a good week in so many ways. I'm thankful that Judy can be with me. Lord willing, come January the 25th, we will have been married 50 years. As one fellow told his friend, I'm taking my wife to Hawaii for our 25th wedding anniversary. He said, what are you going to do for your 50th? He said, go back and get her. So I just take Judy with me, and that way I don't have to go back and get her. It's good to have the men, and it's good to have the women present in our services. A lady walked into a room, and her husband had a fly swatter, and she said, what are you doing? He said, killing flies. She said, have you killed any? He said, yes. I've killed three female and two male. She said, how did you know? He said, three of them were on the phone, and two of them were on the remote control. It's a dead giveaway. One of the things that we've tried to do this week is to motivate you. And there is a story that I tell you may have heard it before, but it's one of my favorites about motivation. I told one Sunday about the fellow that said I'm fine being motivated, but this is even better than that one in my opinion. Two fellows were out in the woods and they came upon a sinkhole. They dropped some pebbles in it and listened to see how deep it might be and they couldn't hear anything. They looked around, and back behind them a few yards was an old railroad tie, so heavy that it took both of them to carry it, and they went back and picked up that railroad tie and said, if we drop that in this sinkhole, we can hear it hit the bottom and know how deep it is. So they carried it very much with much stress up to the hole and threw it over in the hole and began to look, and about five seconds later, a goat came right between them and jumped in that sinkhole. And they looked at each other and thought, well, you know, that's funny. And just shortly after that, a farmer came by and said, have you fellows seen a goat? They said, yes, he came just between us running as hard as he could and jumped in that sinkhole. The farmer said, well, I don't understand that. I had him tied to a railroad cross tie. With the right motivation, and I'll explain that after service if you didn't get it, with the right motivation you can do almost anything. We have dealt with love this week, the greatest thing in the world, Missouri love or show me love, reasons for love, levels of love. We talked about the idea of when love becomes sin and the chain of love, tough love, if that isn't love. And tonight we close with two lessons, the first on brotherly love, and the second, don't stop loving me. Brotherly love is emphasized throughout the Bible. Psalms 133, verse 1 in the Old Testament, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Even before the church was established, long before Jesus came on the scene, as far as being born to this earth, there was emphasis upon the importance of God's people getting along with one another, having love for each other, 
and being united in him. When we turn to the New Testament, 1 Peter 1.22 talks about brotherly love that is unfeigned, unfeigned love of the brethren. That word means pure. That carries with it the idea of sincerity, that we sincerely love one another and not just put on a front and act as if we do. When those seven concepts were added to faith in 2 Peter 1, the seven that we usually refer to as the Christian graces, number six was brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness was one of the seven things that God thought extremely important to emphasize in that area, and then he said, if these be in you and abound, notice that word abound, we need to abound in brotherly kindness and brotherly love. It is brotherly love that is being referred to when the idea of something special is mentioned in Galatians 6.10. As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to them who are the household of faith. He's saying we ought to love everybody, and we've talked about that more than once already this week. But he said we need to especially love those that are Christians, those that are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Even though we sometimes have problems in our families, we usually have a great deal of love for our brothers and sisters. We don't admit it when we're younger, and yet we have it. As our children were growing up, they would fuss with one another and sometimes almost fight, but you let something happen from the outside to one of them, and they all rallied together and stood together. That's the way it ought to be in the church among brethren. Romans 12.10 says that we need to be kindly affectioned one to another. That suggests that there's to be some affection from brother to brother and sister to sister and among brethren and sisters in Christ. It's not the same kind of affection that's described in 1 Corinthians 7 that's between the husband and the wife. And it may not be the same kind of affection that a mother would have for her children, that there is a kind of affection that is necessary in the church. In fact, the church is called the family of God in Ephesians 3.15, and many times the word brethren is used and the idea of sons and daughters is, is expressed. There's that family situation, and it's not uncommon to hear people even talk about my church family, which is not a bad expression. We need to learn to look at one another that way. 1 Thessalonians 4.9 refers to brotherly love and says that it is something that is taught of God. God has taught us to love one another. We are to love each other as God has loved us and as Christ has loved us. And John said in 1 John 4.20 and 21, if we don't love each other whom we have seen, we can't, lay, can't claim to love God whom we've not seen. So definitely... Emphasis is placed on brotherly love and brotherly kindness. Having set that as a foundation for the rest of the lesson tonight, I want to make some practical suggestions 
or some suggestions of some practical guidelines to help us in having the kind of brotherly love that we ought to have. I like to preach in a way that's practical. So many times when we have the closing prayer, the one leading that prayer will say, God help us to take what we've learned tonight and put it into effect in our everyday lives. That's a good statement. I sometimes think as we pray that, I wonder if we really do. But I like to preach in such a way that you can take it with you and use it, even if you don't remember the subject and may not even remember the specific passage that's used. If you remember the concept to where you can apply it in your life, the lesson has been successful. First, we need to understand that each one of us is made in the image of God. God made all other parts of his creation, and then he crowned that creation with man. Saying, let us make man in our own image, Genesis 1:26, and in the image of God he made man. Each one of us is made in the image of God. I do not understand that to mean that our physical characteristics are like God, because God is spirit. But I especially believe that means that within each one of us is dwelling something that is God-like, and especially God-like as far as duration of time is concerned that will last even into the eternity. Each one of us has a soul. Someone has suggested that each one of us is a little part of God, in that we are made in the image of God. And James 3.19 puts it like this, that we're made after his similitude. We are similar to God. No other part of his creation is like that. He brought all the things you and I see about us into existence, even the animals. And I know sometimes we become so attached to animals that they're almost like human. But folks, the human being is greater than anything that God has created. That was the crowning part of his creation. And when you look at the one who's sitting across from you or on the seat with you or as you see him come in and leave, remember that everyone is created in the image of God. Each one of us is a little part of God. I would suggest in the second place that each one of us needs to learn to be friendly. I suppose I came into this world talking. I can't remember when I didn't. And Judy says, I'll talk to a post. Sometimes I talk to people that are almost like posts. I enjoy sitting and waiting for Judy to shop. She enjoys shopping. I don't. She really enjoys going to Walmart. I told someone recently she's changed my mind about the Lord's return. I thought it would be sudden, but he'll have to give her time to go by Walmart. But a lot of the times when she's shopping, I sit up on one of those little benches and I just watch people. I just enjoy watching people. And if I happen to sit down by somebody, I start talking. I introduce myself. And nine times out of ten before we get through, we'll have something in common. They'll know somebody that I know, sometimes know some of my family I wish they didn't know. <laughs> no, not really. But I just enjoy talking to people. I don't like to be by myself. Judy gets sick, she won't shut the door and be left alone. If I get sick, I want you to come see if I'm dead. 
I enjoy being with people. Proverbs 18:24, he that would have friends must show himself friendly. You know, occasionally there'll be somebody visit the services and go home and say, nobody spoke to me. Well, you'd have had to trip him to speak to him. He went out the side door at the amen of the prayer and nobody got an opportunity to speak to him. You're going to have friends be friendly. And I'll guarantee you if you'll reach out to people and be friendly, you will have friends. People will respond. A smile will get a smile. Care will receive care. Concern will have concern paid back. And in the process of doing that, get to know one another in the church. We're told to know them that have the authority over us and labor among us, 1 Thessalonians 5.12. You remember that statement in uh, John 1.26 where Nathaniel was involved and he said, come and see Jesus, come and get to know him. The question was asking, any good thing come out of that? Well, come and see, get to know him. You know, it's amazing how people even look physically in a different way after you get to know them. I've met a few people that I thought when I met them they were extremely ugly. And yet after I got to know them, they weren't that ugly. Because I got to know the person. Went deeper than the skin and the outward appearance. Getting to know someone really makes a difference. Let me tell you a little story that sort of emphasizes this. A fellow was away from his girlfriend for a long time. And he decided he wanted to keep in touch, so he wrote her a postcard every day, 365 days for a year. And at the end of that 365 days, she married the postman. It's when you have that face-to-face -face contact and you get to know people. And I'll tell you something else. Almost everyone is carrying some kind of baggage or burden that many times we don't know about. We have a tendency to judge our brothers and sisters in the church without really knowing the facts. And I've had the experience, and I'm sure you have too, of when I got to know all that was involved with that particular person, I came to understand him better and I came to appreciate him more when I got to know him. Get to know each other. Spend some time together. Invite somebody into your home for a meal. Or just invite somebody in to play some games or to talk. Just be together. Call somebody and ask them to go with you to a meeting somewhere or, or to go to some kind of a recreational event. Spend some time together. Get to know one another in the church. And in that process of getting to know, look for that which is good. If I had a sheet of paper tonight this size and on that sheet of paper I took a pen and I made one little black spot and held that up and asked you what you see, you'd see, you would say, I see a black dot. Look at all the square inches of white that are there. We have a tendency to see those little things that are little problems and not see the good that's around it. Learn to look for the good things in the preacher, in the elders, in their lives, in other brothers and in the sisters in the church. Learn to look for the good things. 
I'm going to tell you something, parents, as I pass by this point. If you have fried elders and roast preacher for Sunday dinner every week, don't be surprised if your young folks aren't interested in coming to church. Look for the good things in the lives of others. And it doesn't hurt to tell them about it when you see good things in their lives. The next suggestion I have is be impartial. In the church, there's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. Galatians 3.28, we're all one in Christ. God is no respecter of persons. Every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Acts 10.34 and 35. We need to learn to be impartial and to try to treat everybody alike. Now, to treat everybody alike, sometimes we have to treat people in different ways in order to be alike, meeting whatever needs are there. And I think I can prove from the Bible that it's not wrong to have some close friends. Jesus had three of the apostles that seemed to be a little closer to him than the others. At least he took those three on some special occasions. And Jesus had three other friends that seemed to be very close to him, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. One of the biggest problems with preachers down through the years is in trying to be the same to everybody, we preachers many times don't have very many close friends. And that can be a problem as we get older. I don't think it's wrong for you to have some people that are, that are a bit closer to you. If you have others in the congregation whose children go to the same school years do or you work at the same job, you're necessarily going to spend more time with some people. But try to be yourself to everybody. The thing I've tried to emphasize down through the years to the congregation, and I've worked with congregations with almost 700 members, is if you need me, I'm here. Whatever your need is, let me know. I'll do my best to fulfill it. Be as impartial as you possibly can. And then realize the value of many people standing together. Every joint supplying, Ephesians 4.16. Listen to a passage back in Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verse 9. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. How can one be warm alone? If one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. If you took, especially you stronger men, took my finger like that with both hands, you could probably break it. But you would have extreme difficulty when all three of those are together breaking those three. Now, that's what I'm talking about in the church. You know, there have been some changes along this line. I've been preaching now 55 years. When I started preaching the gospel, and in my earlier years of the gospel, I never questioned whether the members of the church were behind what I was doing. I just knew they were. And yet today, in many instances, we preachers are having to spend our time trying to encourage those that ought to already be members, or are already members, and ought to be encouraging others themselves, and trying to convince them of the truth, instead of standing together 
There are many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one, watch it, members one of another. That's the brotherly love that we're talking about. I want to share with you a little poem, I suppose, that I found a while back. Six men were trapped by circumstance in bleak and bitter cold. Each one possessed a stick of wood, or so the story is told. The dying fire in need of wood, the first man held his back, for of the faces round the fire he noticed one was black. The second man saw not one of his own local church and could not bring himself to give the fire his stick of birch. The poor man sat in tattered clothes and gave his coat a hitch. Why should he give up his stick of wood to warm the idle rich? The rich man sat and thought of all the wealth he had in store and how to keep what he had earned from the lazy, shiftless poor. The black man's face spoke revenge and the fire passed from his sight. He saw in his stick of wood a chance to spite the white. The last man of this forlorn group did naught except for gain. Only to those that gave to him was how he played the game. Their logs gripped tight in death's still grasp were proof of human sin. They died, not from the cold without, but from the cold within. Let us sing.